Alrighty, and welcome in everybody. This is Connor in coverage. We do this every Tuesday night here. My name is Connor Riley. We're talking the latest in Georgia sports, recruiting updates, football. This is our last week without Georgia football practice to talk about as Georgia begins fall camp this week. Uh, I believe Thursday or Friday is the official first practice date there. We're expected to hear from Kirby Smart a couple of players later on in the week, but football is pretty much back now. It's the month of August. There are going to be actual games later this month. Georgia isn't involved in any of those, but September 4th, a little over 30 days away. That's going to be our main topic tonight, sort of talking about that Georgia-Clemson game, what JT Daniels and Jordan Davis had to say about it back at SEC Media Day, something we've been saving up a little bit, looking at that game a little bit, as well as some of the chatter and discussion surrounding JT Daniels, a guy who's been talked about quite a lot these last couple of weeks is preseason prognosticators sort of make their predictions about where Georgia might finish. And a lot of it is tied to JT Daniels himself and how he ends up performing. We will uh, move on to the Quinn Evers uh, topic discussion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think it's a really interesting story, but I I don't necessarily know how big of a deal it is. We've seen stuff like this before. We're in a recent history of guys, including JT Daniels himself, who have reclassified. Obviously, the name, image, and likeness plays a different factor here, but I think Georgia can sort of understand a little bit what Ohio State might be going through, and you can only look at Georgia's past history to understand having too many cooks in the quarterback kitchen can uh, cause some real problems and might even spoil the broth there. So uh, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit tonight, and then we'll talk a little Georgia recruiting at the end of the night. I know Wednesday's is Jeff Sintel. He's got a ton of news and updates coming out of a very big recruiting weekend for Georgia. They pick up a commitment on Monday in Dylan Bell, a three-star wide receiver out of Texas. Uh, as potential during a show tonight, for example, Georgia might pick up another commitment. We'll see if that ends up coming through. But we'll wrap up a little bit talking about recruiting as well as taking your comments and questions. As we mentioned earlier, Georgia starts fall camp this week. It's going to be a huge month ahead. Literally, I believe 30 days from tomorrow, Georgia and Clemson play in Charlotte, North Carolina should be a fun, exciting game, and it's going to be something I think everyone there is really looking forward to and anyone who's a Georgia fan is looking forward to. So without further ado, that will be our first topic tonight. Uh, As you see on your lower third below you, Georgia Clemson sets the stage for the 2021 season, and really that's for the Georgia Bulldogs because a lot is going to be made out of this game and how they perform because obviously Kirby Smart and Georgia have had their struggles against the Alabamas of the world, and you can mention LSU in there as well when they won the national title in 2019 and then beat Georgia pretty convincingly in 2018. And Clemson is absolutely a team that is of that same pedigree. Now, I think this Clemson team, Georgia catches them at a pretty good time. They have to replace a generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, a generational running back in the all-time ACC rushing leader in Travis Etienne, and their top three pass catchers from a season ago. So they're retooling a little bit on offense. Obviously, Clemson's defense is going to be one of the best in the country. They might have the most talented defensive line out there with guys like Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis. Just a loaded front seven there. That's going to cause a lot of problems for Georgia, I think. But as you saw a season ago, Clemson is not invincible. And if you actually look at their last two college football playoff games, sort of got run off the field against LSU, especially at the end there. Got blown out by Ohio State, and if Georgia comes out and, and quite frankly, plays to a team that they are capable of playing to, they could give Clemson a lot of problems, and that sort of sets a narrative about Clemson. You know, has this team taken a step back since it reached that apex under Trevor Lawrence and thrashing Alabama in the 2018 national title game? Or I guess technically it took place in 2019, but who, who knows with all the years in college football and whatnot. But obviously, we're going to spend more time focusing on the Georgia aspect of this and where the Bulldogs sort of sit with regards to how they are approaching this game. Because while back at SEC Media Days, that game was still a good six weeks out, it's 
in my opinion, the most anticipated game of the college football season. And so when you have a game like that, naturally people are going to be curious and interested in what the leaders of this Georgia team, which JT Daniels and Jordan Davis are, have to say about that game and what it really means, I think, for this program going forward. And I thought JT really hit the nail on the head and has one of my favorite quotes that I've heard in quite some time. We're going to play it for you here in a second. But I thought JT was handling this all very well. Obviously, we'll touch on the other side about some of the preseason comments that have been made about him recently. But here's JT Daniels sort of talking about preseason expectations and then going a little bit deeper into that Georgia-Clemson game and how this Georgia team is sort of getting ready for it. This is from a few weeks ago at SEC Media Days. Uh, the preseason rankings are what they are. Uh, I don't think we have any, you know, we don't have any say over them. Um, you know, it's cool when they say you're good. It's cool when they say you suck. It really doesn't matter either way. Um, you know, you go out and play football. Like, we're, uh, I, I don't know what the SEC or the national, what, what they ranked our offense, honestly. Um, and we just focus on, like, what we can do in this coming week to be ready for next week. And then next week, it's what can we do to be ready for camp? And then camp, you get through camp, and then it's what can we do to be ready for Clemson? And as soon as, as, soon as the, the horn blows at Clemson, it's what can we do to be focused for the next week? We're, uh, we're too focused on week to week to, um, you know, really take anything else into too much consideration. Yeah, a little bit of breaking news here coming out of that sign by JT Daniels talking about Clemson. Georgia just picked up a commitment. Three-star offensive lineman Griffin Scroggs from Grayson, Georgia, just committed to Georgia. Second day in a row, Georgia lands a commitment. Scroggs picked up an offer from Georgia in June, had recently been committed to Georgia Tech, but backed off that visit there. Again, Griffin Scroggs, offensive lineman out of Grayson, 6'5", good build, plays for a great program there in Grayson High School. And you know, obviously, he is not the caliber of prospect that recent Georgia offensive line signees have been. Last cycle, they signed three top 100 prospects. But because of how well Georgia has recruited on the offensive line in recent seasons, it was always going to be tough to go out and land those big-name guys, those Tyler Bookers, for example. But I think the other side of that coin is you look at the way Kirby Smart has been able to develop offensive linemen, particularly those who were not superstar recruits coming out of high school. Justin Schaefer was a valuable starter for Georgia a season ago. Warren Erickson is probably going to be your starting center this year. Solomon Kinley went from a, a recruit who was in the 1600s overall and ends up becoming a multi-year starter for this Georgia program and is a draft pick and now a starting NFL offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins. I think Georgia has a very good track record of developing offensive linemen. And so while, yes, Griffin Scroggs might not be the usual type of recruit that Georgia traditionally lands, I do think that, again, it's a nice win for Georgia. And we're going to touch a little bit later on recruiting for Georgia and, and what it looks like here after picking up a, a prospect of similar ilk in Dylan Bell yesterday out of the Houston area, but just wanted to touch on that. If you're listening to this on the podcast version one, thank you for that. But two, yeah, so at around 8, 10 Eastern time, Georgia picks up a commitment, Griffin Scroggs from Grayson, Georgia. So anyway, back a little bit more to JT Daniels and what he had to say there. I thought his quote, uh, the preseason rankings are what they are. When they say you suck, it's fine. When you say you do well, it's fine. And I think that's really a motto that I think this, you're going to see this Georgia team take to heart this season you know people are going to say what they're going to say about us they know opposing fans are going to bring up 1980 jokes they know opposing fans are going to say that they can't get it done about Alabama they they know every single thing that they are going to have thrown at them because this is a veteran team and they've heard those sort of things before and so it, it is ultimately up to them to go out on the field and produce and while this Clemson game certainly from a fan perspective has a lot of attention on it I, I think the guys on this team sort of know and understand hey We've been in these types of games before. We've played against Alabama. We played at them last year. We've played against LSU. We've we've 
And no one on this team has played in a college football playoff game, but they have played in games that have stakes like this Clemson game has. And while, you know, obviously it's a little cliche when you hear it from everybody, here's what Jordan Davis had to say about opening up with that Clemson team and sort of what Georgia is expecting going into that game and having a, a little over a month now to prepare for that first game of the season. We treat every game the same. You know, the same level of preparation we have for Clemson is the same preparation we're going to have for Georgia Tech and UAB. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter who we're playing. It's just a matter of what we do. And at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that we do enough to win. Yeah, so, again, and I think what Jordan says there is interesting because obviously everyone wants to see Georgia win with style. They want to see them get after uh, DJ Lele, Clemson's quarterback. They want to see them score a ton of points, have an aerial passing attack with JT Daniels, run the ball effectively with guys like Samir White, James Cook, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh. They want to see this offense being incredibly productive against what should be an elite defense. But I think at the end of the day, this is a game and a caliber of this game that you just have to win. In my opinion, Jeff Sintel and I were talking about this earlier today. It does not matter to me how Georgia goes out and win this game. I know there are going to be a lot of people looking for a more vertical passing offense who are going to be looking for more certain things. This is a game you just get a win and get out of there. And that's okay. And you can live with that. And if Georgia wins this game, you start focusing on how they look and how they play stylistically, I think, starting that next week against UAB. Because this is a game where if you win it, the rest of the games on Georgia's schedule just, quite frankly, aren't up to the caliber of this Clemson team. And so from there, I don't think it's ridiculous if Georgia wins that first game to think, hey, they can run the rest of this slate and enter that SEC championship game with a 12-0 and mark. Now, I'm not saying that guarantees them a spot in the playoff, but I'd be hard to ignore and, and say that they aren't a playoff caliber team with a win like that over a Clemson team that I think everyone expects to once again win the ACC this year. So sort of wrapping things up here on our first topic with JT Daniels and some of the talk around him recently. You know, yes, I understand where some of these national people are coming from and pushing back on him and saying, oh, well, you know, he beat up on three crummy defenses and then struggled in that game against Cincinnati. Cincinnati had an excellent defense last year, ranked fourth in yards per play, one of the best defenses in the country. And at times they make JT Daniels look very ordinary. He struggled in that game. They got pressure on him. He had some turnover worthy plays. But at the same point in time, I thought when it mattered, JT was good enough for Georgia to put them in a position to win this game. And now he's had a full offseason to work with Todd Munkin. He's had a full offseason to gain better chemistry with these Georgia wide receivers. He's had a full offseason as the number one guy. That's something he didn't get at all last season. That's something he really didn't get first team reps until that Mississippi State week. So I think all that is going to work to JT's benefit. And we're going to see what his ceiling ultimately ends up being. I've said he doesn't need to be Mac Jones or Joe Burrow to, to lead Georgia to where it wants to go. But they also need him to be a top five, top 10 caliber quarterback in the country. Based off the Cincinnati game, he was not that a season ago. But just because that one game sample exists does not mean that he cannot look like the quarterback that we saw against Mississippi State and Missouri and South Carolina to a lesser extent against the rest of this schedule. Because if he plays like he does against those defenses – in the 2021 season, Georgia's going to be where it needs to be. I'm not expecting him to come out and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns against this Clemson defense. It's going to be a game where he's going to have to make some throws, but I also don't think that he's going to have to outright go out there and be Superman. I think there's enough talent on this Georgia team that they can keep it close, even though Clemson obviously has a better pedigree in recent seasons with winning two national titles in the last, in the last I believe, six seasons now. So looking at this Georgia Clemson game, we're going to talk about it a ton leading up to the season opener, but I think it's an exciting thing for fans to have and to look forward to. And this Georgia team, I think, knows and understands the stakes. Hey, if you lose this game, 
season's not over because while everyone hypes it up, Georgia still has enough meat on the bone in its SEC schedule to where it can still very well position itself for the college football playoff. And if you win this game, you're not automatically in the college football playoff. Georgia still has to go out and win the rest of their games. But it puts them in an excellent position to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish this season. And so for the week of this Clemson game, it'll be very important. But three, four weeks out, they're still going to try and treat it like every other game, even if I think everyone in the Dog Nation audience knows that it is, in fact, not. So that's our first topic of the night. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor and Coverage. We do this every Tuesday night. We're coming to you live from YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Dog Nation homepage now. Uh, anywhere you can sort of find it. We also have this on a podcast that'll go up later tonight. Be on you uh, If you're listening to this later, it'll be there for your drive into work tomorrow. We appreciate everyone listening there on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast as well. But moving on, we're going to change up, uh, deviate a little bit here from my original plan. And we're going to talk about a, a little bit about recruiting here for Georgia and what to make of how Georgia has recruited as of late. Obviously, we touched on a little bit earlier. They pick up a three-star offensive lineman, Griffin Scruggs, out of Grayson, Georgia, less than 24 hours or essentially 24 hours after they pick up a commitment from three-star wide receiver Dylan Bell. As you see on your screen here out of the Houston area, number 74 overall wide, wide receiver prospect in the country, 6-2-205. I think under Todd Munkin, you've sort of seen Georgia want to skew more to signing those bigger-bodied wide receivers, those guys who have the physical skill set like a George Pickens a la to go out there and make plays on the outside. I'm not saying Dylan Bell is going to do that, but I think you look at the receivers that he had success with in the NFL, guys like Chris Godwin, guys like Mike Evans, those physical sort of wide receivers. And I do think Dylan Bell sort of fits that profile there. You even look at a guy like Adonai Mitchell who knows Bell and is also from the state of Texas. I think he fits a similar mold there as well. And so now I believe Georgia has 14 recruits or commits, excuse me, in this 2022 cycle. I believe they are number six or seven overall right now. I haven't checked the updated rankings since Griffin Scribe committed a few minutes ago. But this Georgia class, I think as we look down the pipe here, it admittedly the past two months, even with the recent additions of Bell and Scruggs, and even if you want to go back a few weeks ago to Branson Robinson, it hasn't necessarily lived up to where people thought it would be. You know, at the beginning of June, Georgia had the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. And then Bear Alexander decommits, Deion Bowie decommits, and miss on a couple of big targets, guys like Kojo and Twee. And so you're sort of wondering, all right, well, how is this Georgia class going to finish? And I think they still have an excellent opportunity to finish very well and finish with a very strong class. In fact, based on the recent days and Quinn Ewers, who we'll touch on to wrap up here at the end a little bit, uh, Georgia, I think, still has a chance to finish potentially with the number one recruiting class in the country. But from here on out, they're going to have to hit on their big fish. They have to go deep sea fishing. They have to go out and reel in multiple big star targets, quite frankly, five star targets. And from there, how do you do that? Really? And it's really simple. I, and I think this is different more so than in years past. It comes down to how Georgia looks on the field. They have to show that, hey, we have a defensive line that can create sacks and force pressures. We are willing to throw outside to our tight ends, to Eric Gilbert, Darnell Washington, to our wide receivers, Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemey, Jackson. You can throw Eric Gilbert in there as well. They have to show and demonstrate on the field, and in my opinion, for really the first time in the smart era that, hey, all this stuff we're telling you guys, we're actually going out and showing it to you on the field because Georgia's not the hot prospect anymore. I think that's gone to Texas A&M a little bit in the SEC and they're not Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson who are racking up college football playoff appearances. They've got to actually, I think, go out there and show that, hey, we can be a team that makes the college football playoff more often than not. We need a few breaks to go away. But if we get those, 
We're a team that you're going to be playing for a college football playoff and playing for a national championship. I think they've shown that they can develop prospects. They had nine guys taken in the NFL draft a season ago. So I think with that in mind, you know, how does Georgia finish out this class? And it comes down to how many of these elite recruits do they end up getting? And I'm going to pull up a full screen here. of These are the guys that they have left and the guys they are trying to close in on. Five-star defensive tackle Walter Nolan. Five-star defensive tackle Travis Shaw. Five-star cornerback Jaheim Singletary, who recently decommitted from Ohio State. Five-star USC defensive end Mike, Michael Williams. Five-star defensive tackle Bear Alexander. Five-star Oklahoma wide receiver Luther Burden. And four-star tight end Oscar Delp. Those are sort of the big names, at least for me, that I am paying attention to and how Georgia closes out the rest of this class. Obviously, they're not going to land all of those guys. But if you land four... I think that puts Georgia in a very good spot with what they already have in this class with guys like Malachi Starks, who I think has the potential to finish as a top 10 player in this 2022 recruiting cycle. Linebacker like Jalen Walker. C.J. Washington, also not to be forgotten out of there at a Cedartown. I didn't even include him on the list there, but Dion Bowie is another name to pay attention to as Georgia tries and finish it out this class here. So this Georgia recruiting class, they, they've sort of, it's starting to fill up. They are at 14 commitments as it stands right now. You know, I think with the transfer portal and how that's going to look year in, year out, they're not the days of Georgia, I think, signing a 25 man class are going to be few and far between. So I would expect maybe 22, 23 signees in this class, maybe even a little bit less. So with that in mind, they're going to have to close on some of those big name guys. And to do so, they're going to have to go out and show on the field that, hey, this is a place where if you're a really talented player, you can come in and play early. And I think Georgia has done a good job of showing that, at least in role-playing situations. Nolan Smith played a lot as a freshman. Trayvon Walker contributed as a freshman as well. Uh, Tyson Campbell came in and started right away, and now he is a high second-round pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I, I think this Georgia, they've done a good job of, of showing certain aspects to recruits that appeal to them, especially those five-star prospects. But they need to go out and show that, hey, Adam Anderson can go out and be an All-American type of player at that outside linebacker position. That uh, Trayvon Walker can live up to that five-star hype and be an every-down contributor for this Georgia defense. That Jordan Davis from the middle can be not just an elite run stopper, but an elite pass rusher as well. That Jermaine Burton can potentially be a 1,000-yard receiver being the second ever in, in Georgia, at Georgia. And I think actually, if you look at wide receiver recruiting in particular, I think that's an area where not having George Pickens can really impact this team a lot because he was such an obvious target and someone who was so clearly going to have a monster season and ultimately, I think, develop into a first-round type talent. Now that ACL injury, you wonder where he ultimately ends up finishing and being in this season. Obviously, I think Georgia wants him back. We'll see if that ends up coming through. Obviously, Kirby gave an update a few weeks ago saying he's running in straight lines, but that's not football. He's still got a, a ways to go. And you wonder, you start to wonder beginning of November, I think after the Florida game is really when you, I think you can maybe start asking and looking, when might George pick and see the field again? And what might he potentially bring to this Georgia offense. So that's touching on recruiting there a little bit. Obviously, Georgia picking up another commitment tonight. Griffin Scroggs out of Grayson, Georgia. They picked up a commitment last night. Dylan Bell out of the Houston area, a wide receiver there. Two weeks ago, they pick up four-star running back Branson Robinson out of Madison, Mississippi. So they're plugging along. They're, they're, they're climbing. But how Georgia finishes this recruiting cycle comes slowly comes down to how they finish with some of these big-name targets. And then you, there were a couple guys committed there. I think if Georgia is going to finish where they want to finish, they're going to have to flip a few of those guys. And they've been able to do so in the past. A guy like George Pickens comes to mind. They are Jermaine Burton as well. So how Georgia finishes this recruiting class, I think, is directly correlated to how they play and not just win, but how they specifically play on the field this season. 
So that's our second topic for tonight. It's Connor and coverage. We'll take your questions here coming up. There was one last little subject here that I do want to talk about. Uh, if you have not been paying attention, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in the college football world right now. You have Texas, Oklahoma joining the SEC last week. You have the false flag rumors about Clemson and Florida State possibly looking in there. I'll just say this on that. Pay attention to the television deal stuff because I know while a lot of this might seem monotonous, that's who really controls all of this. Texas and Oklahoma's Big Ten rights or Big 12 rights, excuse me, are up after the 2025 season. While that's still a while away from now, it's a lot closer than when the ACC's deal of rights is up after the 2036 season. It's going to be a long time before Clemson and Florida State, I think, even really consider joining the SEC, which is in part why you saw Clemson and Florida State have such strong denials in terms of potentially joining the SEC. But one other thing to keep in mind, the SEC already owns all of the ACC rights. The ESPN already owns all of the SEC rights. ESPN split the Big 12 with Fox. I think that is a big reason why you saw Texas and Oklahoma jump over and join ESPN. That's why Bob Bowlesby sent out a cease and desist letter to ESPN because he knows ESPN is trying to grease up their television inventory to where it has the most appealing television contracts. That hurts Fox. The Big 12 being dissolved, which is something that had been talked about recently, directly impacts ESPN. That's why I think a lot of people would think that you'd see those Big 12 leftovers join the American Athletic Conference, who is also solely broadcast by ESPN. So with all this conference realignment stuff, I know it's not cool. I know you want to talk about where does Notre Dame go? Well, I, Georgia fans don't want to talk about where Notre Dame goes, but Notre Dame is a huge piece in this. You know, do Ohio State and Michigan come over? What happens with Clemson and Florida State? What do the Pac-12 schools do? Unfortunately, as uncool as it is, a lot of this comes down to television and television revenue. So if you follow that information and follow that stuff, I think that's going to tell you quite a lot about what these next steps look like as far as the SEC and whether they choose to stay at 16 or potentially long-term expand past that. So quickly on uh, Quinn Ewers. So if you have not been following this, Quinn Ewers is the number one overall prospect in the 247 composite for the 2022 recruiting class as of a week ago. He is a similar to Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields type quarterback. I know some people have said he is potentially better than Trevor Lawrence. I, as a Georgia native, find that incredibly hard to believe. Trevor Lawrence is maybe the most accomplished high school quarterback in the state of Georgia, and thus, in my opinion, one of the best quarterback prospects of all time. You do that in the state, you have the resume that he has, and then goes out and backs it up on the field. And so expecting Quinn Ewers to do that, I, I think you know that puts a lot of pressure on him. But this week, Quinn Ewers comes out, put on Twitter a lengthy statement that I can't fully show you, but I can show you the tweet in there. And essentially, he is saying that due to the name, image, and likeness laws in the state of Texas, he is going to forego his senior season of college, finish up his one cl English clash there at South Lake Carroll down there out of the Dallas area, and then enroll at Ohio State in the coming days and get started on his college career. Now, Quinn Ewers is an incredibly well-known name. People have known him for a while now. Because of that, there is the thought that he can make some real money off his name, image, and likeness. The state of Texas does not allow high school athletes to do that. So Ewers is saying, I think I'm ready to go and I can at least make money at the next level, if not contribute potentially at Ohio State this coming season, and potentially start making money. And so this has gotten a lot of interest. And on the one hand... I think some of it is overstated. I, I know there are people saying, oh, how can you rush out and do this? How can you jump and skip ahead on some of the things that matter to you as a high school senior? You know, there are people saying, you know, my high school senior year was the best year of my life or one of the great memories, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Well, I mean, really, he's giving up four months because he was early, an early enrollee anyway. And for the people out there saying, what about prom? What about this, that, and the other in the spring? 
a lot of guys gave that up. 17 out of Georgia's 21, uh, 2021 signees were early enrollees and gave up things like prom and 8 a.m. English classes. So, I, you know, that aspect of it, I don't, I don't fully buy. I do think a lot of the cynicism or questioning that comes from this comes from the fact that he is largely doing this based on a financial decision because from a football decision, I can't quite honestly say it makes a lot of sense because if you look at the Ohio State quarterback room, they have a guy in C.J. Stroud who was a 2020 signee, meaning he's got at least another four years potentially of eligibility there, and he is expected to potentially be a starting quarterback. They signed a five-star quarterback in the last cycle in Kyle McCord out of the Philadelphia area, St. Joe Prep, the same school that produced DeAndre Swift. So, And they also have 2020 signing Jack Miller there as well. So they've essentially, in two cycles, got four quarterbacks, three of whom were top 50 overall prospects in Stroud, McCord, and now Ewers. And given when Ewers is expected to join this team, and it's not for another week or so, he's probably not going to be a starting quarterback this season. And it feels very much like the Georgia quarterback situation during that 2017 and 2018 season where you have Jacob Eason. He goes down. You have Jake Fromm. You land the commitment from Justin Fields. And during the latest stretches of that season, you're wondering, well, how is this all going to shake out? Well, Georgia knows firsthand what happened there. Jacob Eason ends up transferring to Washington after recovering, finishes his career, fourth-round draft pick to the NF- to the Indianapolis Colts. And now it looks like there's a chance he starts week one for the Colts after Carson Wentz gets hurt. You look at Georgia. They end up sticking with Fromm, and they have Fields and Fromm battle it out. And I use that in air quotes intentionally because I don't know how much of a real battle it ever was. And ultimately, Justin Fields decides to transfer to Ohio State. At that point, you know, after the 2018 season, I think it was hard to make an argument that Justin should have played over Jake Fromm. But going forward, I think we can all certainly say with hindsight as a benefactor now that Justin Fields was the better quarterback than Jake Fromm. And that's okay. You, you can say that. In 2018, I don't think you could have said that at the time, but you could also, also use foresight and see Justin has sky-high potential and Jake Fromm at that time had also taken his team to a national championship game. So there are a lot of people out there who think that Georgia got it wrong in that quarterback situation. Never mind that Justin Fields didn't ultimately go on to win a national championship game. He suffered the same fate that Fromm did as a freshman when Ohio State lost to Alabama in the national title game last year. So there's probably a pretty good chance, however Ohio State ends up handling this quarterback situation with Stroud, with uh, Ewers, with Kyle McCord, there's a better chance than not that they quote-unquote end up getting it wrong and going with the wrong guy. Unless Ewers leads them to a national title, there are going to be people that bring up, oh, well, you ran off Kyle McCord to bring in a guy in Quinn Evers, and if he doesn't live up to the hype, people are going to remember that. And no matter how good Ewers is, if McCord has similar success, people are going to be like, well, you could have had that guy. And if he's putting up huge numbers, that's not going to help either. And so it, it, it is a dicey situation there for Ohio State with their quarterback room, but the one aspect that I do want to touch on is the idea of him reclassifying and, and jumping up and getting to college a year early. And while some people might know, think this is a novel idea, it's really not. It happens all the time in basketball. And actually what they end up doing is they hold these kids back in middle school to allow them to become more physically developed. And then later on, make that up by reclassifying at the end of high school. That's exactly what Quinn Hughes is doing is he's already 18 years old in August of 2021. 
Uh, and this is not something that is unforeseen. We've seen this a couple of times in recent seasons. JT Daniels, we talked about him off the top. This is exactly what he did. He was a 19-year-old freshman at USC after reclassifying, skipping his senior year there at Modern Day, and then ultimately becoming a freshman starter for USC. Obviously, tears his ACL to start his sophomore year, and he's now at the University of Georgia. Tony Grimes, a North Carolina quarterback. Georgia recruiting fans know him well. Was a five-star prospect for a time. Looked like he was coming to Georgia. Then the pandemic hits, and he ends up reclassifying and going to North Carolina a year early, having a real impact last season for the Tar Heels, and now might be one of the best cornerback prospects in the country. Jake Bentley, another name I think a lot of Georgia fans know, former South Carolina quarterback. I believe he is now at South Alabama. He was a guy who reclassified, skipped his senior high school, and got to South Carolina early. And as I mentioned there on the bottom, Ewers is already 18 years old. So it's really interesting, I think, to see how all of this plays out. But at the end of the day, I think other than the newness of the name, image, and likeness being introduced, and we'll see how much money he ends up making off all of this, it's not as big of a story to me as I think a lot of people want to make it out to be. Obviously, it impacts the Ohio State quarterback room, but I don't necessarily think it's in the positive way a lot of people thought when he first committed there after decommitting from Texas. So that's our main show for tonight. We're going to open up to questions, thoughts, comments you guys might have. Obviously, we can talk a lot about Georgia Clemson, sort of going to national or not germane to this Georgia team this season. So we shall see how Georgia ends up finishing uh, its recruiting class. Touch on that. If you have questions on that, we can certainly answer that as well. So fire away. We'll hopefully get your comments up here on the screen and see what you guys have to say. Scrolling down to the bottom. Um, let's see. Comments, questions, uh, a lot of riffraff going on in the YouTube comment section. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So Travis McCullough, uh, as you see here on your screen, if the offensive line can protect JT, uh, Clemson's defense, I think is going to have a lot of problems. That's easier said than done. Um, I think this Georgia defensive line is probably going to be the, the, in my opinion, the unit that struggles the most in that first game against Clemson in part because Clemson's defensive line is just that good. I think it's one of the few defensive lines in the country that can say it is, it might actually be better than Georgia's defensive line. And they've got some things to figure out there. You're probably having a guy who's playing in the biggest in, in either Xavier Truss at left tackle or Tate Ratledge at right guard, which in my opinion, that's the most important position battle this spring or this fall, excuse me. And it, they're not even really competing directly against each other. It's just, can Xavier Truss be a better left tackle than Tate Ratledge be a better right guard? Because whoever is that, I think is going to a determine where J uh, Jamari Sawyer ends up playing. And then from there where Justin Schaefer ends up playing as well. So good, good uh, question there, Travis. Let's see. Comments, thoughts, questions. Uh, Randy Hall, thoughts on Emory Jones as a quarterback. I'll be interested. I, I, I know there are a lot of Georgia fans out there who are down on him based on some of the passing ability that he has shown specifically in that game against Oklahoma last year. He's a fantastic athlete, a Georgia high school product. I'll be interested to see how well Florida runs the ball this year because I think that's really going to say a lot about where this team ends up finishing. Uh, yes, they have to replace a lot on offense last year, but there's still some talented pieces there. And as much as you want to say or criticize about Dan Mullen, I think he does a good job of developing offensive and, and, and tailoring them to their skill sets. Emory Jones' skill set is clearly going to be on the running game. I and mean, Florida needs to have an improved rushing game because the last two seasons, they haven't really had that. And while, yes, they've had Jones back there, under Kyle Trask, they were not able to consistently run the ball. And so, you know, yes, they've improved the talent in that room, bringing in a guy like Demarcus Bowman from the transfer portal, a five-star running back who signed with Clemson. 
But if that offensive line isn't up to uh, up to snuff, and quite frankly, against Georgia's defensive line, I don't think it will be. I'd be interested to see how this Florida offense looks if they are not a, a truly great rushing team. Because I don't necessarily know if Emory is quite there yet as a passer. Um, Chris Rich on YouTube asked, when do you see Pickens back and is Gilbert going to play wide receiver or tight end? Uh, if we see George Pickens, and I, I would still preface by saying it is not an if, and is a or it is not a when, it is an if. Uh, there are a lot of things that George has to decide uh, to continue to take rehab seriously, which I expect that he will. But he's going to have a decision to make about his NFL future and whether or not he wants to come out and play, potentially re-injuring that knee uh, or re-injuring his other knee as he tries to come back. I would probably say start looking for more updates after the Florida game. So after Halloween, that's November, I believe, 6th. That game that week is against Missouri. I don't think they're going to bring him back then. I think if you're targeting a game to really maybe see him again, look for that Charleston Southern game. It's a low-stakes game. If you want to play him against Georgia Tech, that's a game Georgia should win easily. But obviously, Georgia has a very complicated history, and I say complicated. In my opinion, it's funny what happened that day against Georgia Tech where he just threw that defender to the wall is quite funny, but I don't know if that's a game you want to put him out there for where Georgia Tech, look, it's a rivalry game. They're going to be chippy. They're going to be physical. They're probably going to target George. They targeted George a few years ago in that 2019 game, and so I think look for that Charleston Southern game if we're going to see him then because I don't think you want to throw him into the pool right away in that SEC championship game without him fully knowing how that knee will hold up. Um, Let's see. Um, and then to answer your question, I think he's going to play both, but I think you might see him taking, if I had to guess, the majority of his snaps will be at that wide receiver position. They'll get creative with him, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington at tight ends. But I think for, for Gilbert to have the season, I think a lot of people expect him to have, it's going to be at wide receiver. Uh, Jason Rucker. So this question is going to change week to week uh, over the course of the season. But for the Clemson game, I will say Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, Justin Schaefer at left guard, Warren Erickson at center, uh, Tate Ratledge, excuse me, at right guard, and Warren McClendon at right tackle. Now, if you're asking me who who might be that starting offensive line come the SEC championship game, I could see Amarius Mims at the left tackle position. See them maybe moving Jamari Sire down to left guard, move the line around. Maybe Cedric Von Prawn breaks in at center there. Frederick Jones is another, na- another name to keep in mind. Uh, the only two guys that I feel comfortable right now, I think Sanger are going to be starting every game for Georgia, are going to be Warren McClendon and Jamari Sire. And, and Sire might do it at a variety of positions, to be quite honest. Uh, but good question there, Jason. Um, let's see. Um, I will say one of the things to watch this coming month is Justin Ross, uh, and how he comes back and what his clearance is for this game. Obviously Clemson has said he is close, but he has not officially been cleared yet. And the closer and closer we get to this game, I wonder how much bigger that becomes a story and how much of this is just gamesmanship on Clemson's part and sort of keeping that under the rug there. Uh, shadow on YouTube, uh, Connor, do you see any comparison with how Munkin will use JT to how he used Brandon Whedon at Oklahoma State? So, yeah, so Whedon was the off- or Whedon, uh, Munkin, excuse me, was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State back in their 2011 season when they came pretty darn close to playing for a national championship. In my opinion, they should have played for a national championship that season. But Whedon set all kinds of records, ultimately went on to be 
a first round draft pick. And, and I, I think the, the comparison there, obviously the game of the college football game has changed a lot and actually looks more and more like what Whedon was doing back then. I, I think with JT, I think the thing I'm going to be really interested to see is how he moves around in the pocket. We saw a little bit of it last year, specifically in that Mississippi state game where he looked comfortable, confident. And as I try to combine those two words, they're uh, comfortable. Yeah, there you go. And you know, how comfortable is he moving around the pocket? Because Clemson's going to force him off the spot, and he's going to have to do some things and, you know, maybe not run downfield, but extend plays with his legs. And if he's able to do that, I think he's going to be able to do exactly what Todd Munkham wants him to do in this system. Um, Let's see. Uh, John Benton asks, who scores the first touchdown? I'll, tell you, I'll take Zamir White there. Um, uh, there was a comment earlier about, about Samir, I think Samir's going to have a really great season. You know, do, does he hit the statistical benchmarks to be a second-team All-SEC running back, to be an All-American? We'll see. Georgia's got a lot of good running backs to feed, but I think Samir is absolutely one of them and a guy who does a lot of things really well for this program and is going to be a guy who comes out and plays really well. Um, let's see. Man, these Clemson people just know how to find you. Uh, we'll take one or two more comments here before heading off. Um, let's see. Um, Chris Rich. So this is a, this is a, an importantly phrased question. Knock on wood. If knock on wood, if you got it, hypothetically, if JT goes down, does the mailman come in or Carson back? And I would mention Brock Vandergrift, five-star quarterback recruit is another name to know there at that quarterback position. I think if he goes down for a game and, you know, has to get his ankle taped or his helmet pops off for a reason, as of right now, I think the quarterback that comes in is Stetson Bennett. But if it's, say, a blowout where Georgia, it's, say, week two against UAB is up 45 to 10 in the third quarter, I think you maybe see Beck and Vandergrift come in in those games and get real passing reps. Georgia knows what it has in Stetson Bennett at this point. I think he's a known entity. And while not everyone might be in love with him, he has proven that he can play at an SEC level. You know, obviously, he didn't beat Alabama or Florida last season, but he looked pretty good in games against Arkansas, second half against Tennessee, shined against Auburn, in my opinion. So, there's value in that. And then I, the moment is not going to be too big for him with, with Carson back. That's still got to be seen and earned. So, you know, in, in a short series or a series or two situation, I would expect them to go to Bennett. Uh, you know, if it's a, God forbid, a long-term injury to JT Daniels, I wonder then maybe do you open it up to Beck Vandergriff and, and Bennett there? Um, but how they use Beck and Vandergriff really is going to be an interesting to me storyline to follow in after that Clemson game, the rest of those games in September, because Georgia should beat the doors off of UAB, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. And that should mean a, quite a good bit of playing time for those guys. And I know Kirby wants to run the ball and get out of there, but I think what you saw with Alabama has done in the past and sort of developing guys like Tua and not, you know, not Bryce Young to the same stature, but using those blowouts to develop other quarterbacks. I think could pay real dividends for Georgia next year when they're probably going to have to replace JT Daniels. And it does give Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift potentially some more comfortability when it comes to throwing and being in those sort of situations. Uh, let's see. Um, Jason Rucker. Uh, and this will be our last question for the night. Uh, can you talk a little secondary? I actually think that some guys that have been in the program a the while going to shot and speed and Brini. Yeah. It, the secondary, I, I think as we get closer and closer to it, while it was a big concern back in January, I think people feel probably a little bit more comfortable and confident right now. And I keep using that phrase, but 
I mean, people like what this secondary has, especially as a potential game one against Clemson. Clemson's got wide receivers that are going to make things difficult for these guys. Joe Nada, Frank Lasden, you know, Justin Ross, we'll see there. Uh, EJ Williams, a, a Georgia high school product, a name to know there as well. But Lewis Seen and Christopher Smith are, are a very solid and capable safety duo back there. Darian Kendrick, I believe, is going to be one of your starters for sure at the boundary cornerback position. So you've got the star position, which I think Tyke Smith is a name to know there, obviously. But Latavius Brini played very well there in that Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati. And he's going to be a guy who, even in the sort of dime packages, I think you could potentially see Brini come into the field there and play as well. And then Amir Speed, he does have the veteran leg up there, at the other cornerback position. I think the other two obvious names to know there are Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo. And, and how the secondary sorts itself out this this fall, I think is going to be very interesting. And I say fall, I, I expect this to go into the season. But that first game against Clemson, I think there's a very good chance you see Amir Speed out there to start. And you're going to see Jalen Kimber and, and, Jaylen, and Keely Ringo in that game as well. But Georgia has a nice, nice group of veterans and guys who have been in the program for a while. Latavius Brini, Amir Speed the names to know there. So I answer a really good question there, Jason, and we're going to find out a lot about this remade secondary and new secondary coach Jamila Adai in week one there. So that'll do it for us here tonight on Connor and coverage. Again, we do this every Tuesday night. next Tuesday. We're going to have actual football to talk about. We'll have player, uh, player interviews, Kirby smart quotes, comments to talk about with you guys. So thank you all for tuning in tomorrow night, Wednesday, you've got cover or uh, excuse me, getting ahead of myself there. You've got Jeff Sintel before the hedges we'll be talking about the two, New Georgia commitments in Dylan Bell and Griffin Scroggs. You've got uh, cover four on Thursday, probably a big fall camp preview. Brandon Adams, Dog Nation Daily every Monday through Friday. And then KM Squared on Sunday nights, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh are going to be talking a little bit about in previewing fall camp from their perspective. Really hope you guys check that out Sunday night, 8 p.m. on the Dog Nation homepage. But this has been Connor and Coverage. We'll be back here next Tuesday talking Georgia football. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great Tuesday. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you guys for watching. Have a great Tuesday.